Welcome, friends and colleagues. Today, we're discussing mindfulness in schools with Jennifer Knowles. Jennifer is the founding consultant at Mind Matters LLC, and she is also the schools-based program manager at the Center for Mindful Living in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She has been a literacy coach and an elementary-level teacher in Tennessee, Georgia, and Zimbabwe. Educators may rarely be encouraged to think about the importance of students' agency and needs. It is a common expectation for teachers to have what many may call, quote, a sense of urgency. And yes, we should have a sense of urgency regarding what is best for our students. But if urgency is misused as a code word for hurry up and cover more material, we may be doing more harm than good. Our conversation covers a variety of topics, including what mindfulness looks like in a classroom and some techniques that could be useful. We also discuss how teacher practice changes because mindfulness is used intentionally every day. Welcome, Jennifer Knowles. Thank you for having me. So why mindfulness in schools? In a given day, students have so many things to remember, to keep up with, So many subjects to go through, to cover, to learn, and it's just a really busy time. And I think that mindfulness and all the facets of it can help students learn how to regulate emotions, help them better manage the stress and anxiety that comes when there are challenges in the day. It can help them take a step back and just pause going from one state of being to the next or one subject area to the next or one classroom to the next. And when we do that, it's able, it helps us kind of slow down, helps the kids slow down so that they're more present to what's happening in the next moment. When I was the director in an alternative school, we went to a conference and there was one breakout session about mindfulness and and you mentioned transitions a couple of the teachers just had learned maybe one or two small mindfulness activities and they started using them right before transition times we started seeing our incident data improve during transition times what what's the mechanism that's going on there do you think i think giving moments of pause between one place to another or one subject to another or one state of being to another, giving a moment for pause there really kind of helps kids check in, check in with their emotional state, check in with where they were and where they're going, and just creates a little bit of space between those two places of being, states of being. As an administrator, it, it surprised me how simple it was, and yet it seemed to work. I think when you were asking about what what's at play there too, I think um, you know it's really important to encourage and model being able to create space just in general. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we're if we're using opportunities of transition time in schools to just check in, slow down, take a breath, um, notice where we were, notice where we're headed, and set those intentions there. You know, if we practice that in real time, the hope is that students will carry that and generalize that into their own personal experiences throughout the day, creating space for a pause, maybe when you're having a strong emotion or creating space or a pause or a moment for a breath when something's really hard and just recognizing and appreciating that slowing down is in fact really helpful. And when our, when we do that, our whole central nervous system can slow down because of that opportunity for a pause and we can regulate. And when we're regulating, 
and regulated, we are more present to what is happening right here, right now. Regulation and self-regulation is something that I think is is so important, and we oftentimes don't think about as as teachers. But yet, it's something all of us have said that we want to have, and and we want to teach our kids how to do it. And then it's sometimes so hard for teachers to know how to actually teach those kinds of skills, sure. how to teach self-regulation and self-discipline. Yeah, I would say that, you know, like I said earlier, there are a lot of facets of mindfulness. That's one of the things that I actually love about mindfulness is there are all these skills that we can teach to practice present moment awareness. I'm doing so with kindness and non-judgment, which is really what the definition of mindfulness is. And I love that there's so many opportunities and so much versatility and mindfulness and all the practices within it so that people can choose what resonates and then kind of go with that because mindful awareness can look so many different ways. But one of the facets of it that really resonated with me was the piece about practicing mindful awareness and how that helps you regulate emotions and that there are actually explicit strategies that you can learn to be able to do that. Tell us a little bit about some of the social-emotional outcomes teachers uh, could expect if they're using mindfulness in their classrooms. An outcome of incorporating mindfulness into your classroom as part of your classroom culture is this whole idea of creating space between an action and a reaction or an action and a response. Because when we do that, that space gives us this choice factor We don't have to just constantly be reactive to experiences, especially when they're unpleasant or difficult or challenging. And I think that the more you instill in students this sense of agency and ownership over, I do have control and the ability to be aware of what's going on in my body, the sensations that are happening when I'm having this strong emotion, being able to see the space see in their face that moment of awareness when they notice that they're about to do or say something they might regret and then making a different choice. I think that's an outcome that you would definitely see and know that what you're doing is successful. Because we oftentimes talk about giving kids wait time before answering a question. And in a lot of ways, this is sort of the same thing. So many times, need Need an answer, move on. Need an answer, move on. Need an answer, move on. Well, I have to say that I think an outcome of incorporating mindfulness into your classroom uh, could be for teachers too. Honoring something like wait time, five to seven seconds before you respond or move on or allow for someone to help in a response for that particular student or the students when there's not a response or an answer coming. I think that awareness of creating space between an action and what you do about it is also important for teachers. So another outcome would be seeing teachers doing the same thing, recognizing that mindfulness doesn't work unless everyone is involved and holding themselves accountable. And there's a sense of of modeling and embodiment from the person who most everyone in the room is looking to, to decide how they're going to be moment to moment. How educators model what's appropriate for kids is something we don't, I think, talk about enough. I also think to give credit to teachers, you know, it's really hard to change a mentality or a a habitual interaction or way of being in the classroom. The way we ask teachers to be in the classroom, the sense of authoritative interactions, it's really hard to get away from that, especially when you're in a moment of stress or you've got to get this taught or completed. It's really hard to 
model how you want the kids to be in those moments. I think my point to go back to the earlier question about the outcomes is, you know, in my line of work, I always emphasize that we're not just doing this for the students. We're doing this for everyone in the room, teachers, students, support teachers, whoever is coming into this culture of this classroom, whatever that may be, that everybody can participate in these practices and everybody can hold themselves accountable and hold each other accountable through love and support and constantly talking about it and discussing the ways that we try to emotionally regulate, the ways that we slow our bodies down, the ways that we practice kindness and generosity and gratitude, which are also concepts that we teach in mindfulness, heartfulness practices is what we call them. I love that. And so, yeah, just outcomes of being aware of yourself and being aware of yourself in relation to others. Learning is a social activity. The teacher is not just a conduit for that activity, but is interactive in that activity as well. You know, I really like the way that you describe it as, as an interactive social experience for both the educator as well as the student. Yeah, I think often when we look at education, it's either for the teachers or for the students. So what out there is for everybody anymore or ever in the history of education. (laughs) And so I feel like it's quite a gift that this practice of mindfulness can be beneficial to everyone in the same way. And I always say in my line of work, I think the teacher is the most important person in the room. I think the teacher sets the tone for how the class interacts with one, with one another, how they react, interact with the students, how the classroom feels when you walk in the room. A lot of that energy is decided by the teacher. And so I think that providing opportunities and tools for teachers to recognize how important they are and special they are, they can grow such a beautiful culture in the classroom of awareness and support and regulation can be such a gift. What kinds of academic outcomes uh, should teachers expect if they're using mindfulness techniques? I can give you an example of a student taking a test. Sure. So we all know tests and exams can cause a lot of anxiety. And the basic premise of an exam or a test is to be able to show what you know, all that you've learned, all that you've listened to, all that you've practiced, synthesize all of that into this exam. And so that's a lot of pressure, right, for everyone, (laughs) for teachers and for students. When we can practice awareness of our emotions, rather than getting caught up in them, rather than participating in them, if we can observe the emotions and the sensations attached to them, heart beating fast, fists tight, maybe feeling hot, and then slowing our bodies down, slowing our minds down, when we create space for everything that we've learned to show what we know, it will come out. It's really hard for all that we've learned and all the way know to come out in its best form when anxiety and worry and stress is in control. What are some differences that a test might look like? How could a teacher create that space, I guess? Looking at it logistically, some teachers with whom I've worked in their classroom, they'll usually do a couple of mindful breaths before the test before the kids pick up their pencil, before they look at the test, just taking a minute to close their eyes or gaze down, have their hands free, and just slow the system down. Slowing down in order to just kind of talking through some affirmative statements of you're ready for this test. If something is difficult, stop and take a breath and just doing a little like setting intentions before the test happens. And then encouraging kids as they take the test and it takes practice 
takes practice to know that this is a tool for you during the test in real time. But one of the things that I have taught kids is like put the pencil down. That sounds so simple, but the act of putting the pencil down kind of indicates to their brain, the kids, hey, I need to take a second to slow down, take a breath because I'm feeling really nervous about what I know or don't know for this particular question and being able to put the pencil down, slow down, and then pick the pencil back up and try again. And sometimes when we do that and give ourselves a minute to think, we can perform and give ourselves a chance to remember what we know and perform a little bit better. And I actually have had students say, you know, I, I really remembered what I thought I'd forgotten when I took an opportunity to slow down and take a breath. You know, that sounds very similar to some things that several good athletic coaches will do before a game. There's an awful lot of quiet time in a locker room. And so I find that just interesting that uh, the similarities a lot of people have been doing in a different context. Yeah. So mindfulness is also growing in the sports arena. And I often use that as a hook for uh, adolescents with whom I work, particularly them. They find that to be more inspiring. If I talk about a famous basketball player or football player or a team that chooses to have a mindful practice in order to better concentrate, which is one of the benefits of mindfulness is, you know, some of the tools we teach are how to train your attention, Um, build stamina there. A couple of other things I'd like to ask. You do some consulting work with human resources departments and for schools as well. What does mindfulness have to do with human resources? <laughs> well, that's a great question, <laughs> Scott. So the human resources department for the district that I am consulting for has recognized that wellness Self-care is really important to keeping our teachers happy and keeping our teachers in the, in the business, in the job of teaching. You know, it's no secret that uh, teacher retention is a bit of an issue across the country. Yeah, and I so mean, half, half leave in five years, and that's been consistent for the last more than 30 years. Right. They recognize that we've got to do more for our teachers. You know, and I've had conversations with a lot of people who are saying, well, this is for students. This is for students. But again, I'm going to go back to, I think the teacher is the most important person in the room. And so we have to invest in them. And so this is a way to do that. We develop and, and I implement whole teacher, well teacher program where we provide optional sessions for new teachers on things like emotional resilience, mindfulness, self-care, how to create a classroom culture that feels more peaceful, things like that. And then, you know, just letting them know that we see you, we value you. And that's something that I really enjoy. And also creating a program, a wellness program for their mentors. So in our district, we have lead mentors in every school building whose role it is, additional role to their classroom jobs to support new teachers. And part of that work is training them, of supporting them and helping them develop new teachers is helping them create authenticity and resilience and positive leadership and empowerment for them to be better for themselves and others. If somebody who's listening right now is thinking, wow, what's something that I could do today with my kids? Do you have an exercise that you could suggest or maybe uh, some resources to look to? Well, of course I do. The exercise that I would recommend is quite simple. I mean, it's just focusing on our breath and using simple breathing techniques to just take a pause in your day. Whenever you feel like 
you in the class need one, or maybe just you, the teacher, need one. I think it's okay to say to your class, I'm feeling frustration right now. I think it would help everyone in the room if we stopped and took a mindful breath. So what does that look like in teaching that? It would simply be everyone kind of noticing their body and noticing the space to be able to get still. And this is important because when we are still, we, can, we are more likely to feel our breath. And when we can feel it, we're more likely to hold our attention to it. And so getting into a space that feels comfortable, safe, alert, you know, not laying down on the table to fall asleep because when we get still, we get tired. Getting into a still mindful body is what we say, noticing yourself in that space and then being able to close your eyes or gaze down and just breathing all the way in your nostrils and all the way out or all the way in your nostrils and all the way out your mouth. And one of the things that you could add to that is an anchor spot on your body to feel the breath. So we can feel our breath in our chest and you can hold your hand there. You can feel your breath on our belly and we can hold our hand there or we can feel our breath coming in and out of our nose. And these are called anchor spots because just like an anchor on a boat keeps the boat in place, places where we can feel the breath keeps our attention there. And so we can find those places where we feel the breath And as we breathe in, notice the breath there. And as we breathe out, notice the breath there. And just doing that three times is enough to change the energy, not only within your body, but in the classroom. So that's just a simple practice that teachers could do. Places they can go to find resources, they are aplenty. And I will mention those places. But before I do, I think that it's important to to name that if this is something that teachers are interested in, And like I had said before, I think that I have to hold space to say that if this is a choice they make for their classrooms, and I hope they do, that mindfulness is something they would want to implement, that it's not just for the kids, that it's for teachers too. And it's for the community of the room and that we're all invested and we all participate and we all embody these things so that we can hold each other in love and support there. So resources, there are a lot. I think one of the great places to start is Calm is a is a place where teachers can go and actually uh, they have a school's initiative where mm-hmm. they will allow teachers to have one year free membership. Right. They have to fill out a survey, but then this is something that they're doing to support teachers practicing mindfulness. And I think that it's a great place for people to start on their own practice. There's some great things you could use there. Actually, Go Noodle. I know every teacher who teaches elementary school knows about Go Noodle. They have mindfulness activities on there. A lot of people use that as their breaks in the day, especially if the kids need physical interactions um, and activity going on. I think uh, Brene Brown has some really great cartoon videos to talk about different mindfulness concepts that I think are really helpful. There's all kinds of apps. And we'll put a a couple of links on our website as well. Once again, our guest today uh, has been Jennifer Knowles, the school-based program manager at the Center for Mindful Living. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. It was fun. The Thoughtful Teacher podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of our producer, partners, or underwriters. Guest was not compensated for appearance, nor did guest pay to appear. Transcripts are available in the week following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Underwriting and sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may also be made on our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. 
please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.